long. This is something that we're talking about beholding, and we can only behold right now in our minds. Uh, something, they're truths that we are just holding tightly to. But this chapter 22, verse 4, we're told that one day we will see our Savior face to face. The glorious promise, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly. Right now we see in a mirror dimly this beholding God. It's a dim. But it says, but then we will see him face to face. You know, what a promise. And I, tr- I trust that that would capture your heart to know that one day that we can see the maker of the universe, our creator, our savior, face to face. With that, let us pray together as we continue in our worship. Father, we are grateful. We are grateful that you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, you've revealed yourself to us in creation. As we look at the vastness of our creation, as we look at the power that we see in nature, as we see the incredible design in our world, Lord, it is a world that has been, been designed to point to you, to help us to know that you are there. Lord, you have made yourself known to us in our consciences. Lord, internally, we have an awareness that when we do wrong, we know that it's wrong, that your, your law has been written on our hearts, and so we know right from wrong. And Lord, that is a testimony to your presence. But God, you've made yourself clear to us most most evidently in the person of Jesus Christ and in the Word of God. God, we thank you for all that you reveal to us. You reveal to us that you are a powerful God, that you are a God who is just and righteous, but you also reveal to us that you are a God of love and compassion. God, we thank you for that because we need that. We need your love and we need your compassion, and we thank you that you have poured that out on us so graciously in your Son, Jesus Christ. And so this morning, Lord, as we come before you, Lord, that we would, we would confess our sins, that we would confess that we fall short of your glory and that we need your grace. Lord, I pray that you'd help us specifically to be confessing our sins. But Lord, then we'd also know the assurance that comes with forgiveness, that when we seek and we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, this morning we thank you that we can be cleansed and we can worship you with hearts that are tuned to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this time the kids can be dismissed to Children's Church, and if the rest of you will open your Bibles with me to the book of Mark. Okay, we are in the book of Mark, and if you don't have a Bible, there is a pew Bible close to you. Uh, Mark 8, our passage this morning is on page 843. So page 843 in your pew Bible, Mark chapter 8, is where we're going to begin. As we begin this morning, the title of our message is Full Stomachs and Open Eyes. Now, for some of you, if you get your notes out this morning, you see that there are several points. Um, We're not going to get through them all today, all right? I'm telling you ahead of time, we're not getting through them. So those of you who are adamant about getting all your blanks filled out, after the first two blanks, just fill something in right now. You'll feel better at the end of the service because we're not going to fill them in together, all right? So those of you who like that. But I want you to, as we think about this passage, is where we're going to go this morning, that as we, I wonder if you ever ask yourself or ever wonder, can God really use me in a significant way? Can God really and truly use me in a significant way? I ask that question because I think that we are a very complex mix of pride and insecurity. I think there's a part of all of us that, that think we are, that we're pretty good at some stuff. 
that, that others should like us, others should think highly of us, and if they don't, there must be something wrong with them. We have these ideas that, we're, that there's a pride in us, that we can accomplish things, and we have this oftentimes this innate ability that we think we can do things that maybe others might not think that we can. But, but mixed with that pride, I think there's also some insecurity. Some insecurity that shows up not when I begin talking about doing great things, but when I'm put in a position where I'm pushed out of my comfort zone. Because when we're pushed out of our comfort zone or we're, we're encouraged to push, be pushed out of our comfort zone, that we recognize it's then that we begin to recognize, I may not measure up to all of this. That I'm, maybe I'm not quite as good as I think that I am. Or we begin to think that, you know, I would be better at this if only. I, I would be better at this if I were more like someone else. And we think that, well, if I had, you know, if I, if I was better looking, I would probably have some more influence. We think about better looks. We could think about if I had more charm, if I had more charisma, I could engage better with people. If I was smarter, if I, just had a, if I was just a little more intelligent, then, then I could buy, maybe be more useful. We think things not only are intelligence, but our personality. You know, if my personality, I wasn't so inward-driven, or some of you would say, if I wasn't so outward and just kind of mow over people, then, then I could be more useful to God. Then, then maybe God could really use somebody like me. But the way it is, yeah, maybe he could use me, but I'm not really that sure. And we're, so we're this complex mix of pride and insecurity. Well, as we look at our passage this morning in, in, in Mark chapter 8, I want us to see that Jesus isn't focusing on what we don't have. That's, that's where our insecurities come from. We focus on what we don't have. We're going to look this morning that Jesus does not focus on what we don't have, but what he has given to us and what we do have. And we're going to see this morning that Jesus turns compassion into action, and then he multiplies what he gives us for his good for the benefit of others, and ultimately his glory. So that's our big idea this morning, that God turns compassion into action, multiplies what we have for the good of others and for his glory. Well, let's look at our passage in Mark chapter 8. <clears throat> Next week, my plan this morning was to look at verses 1, all the way verses 1 through the, uh, verse 26. And um, on Thursday morning, I'm kind of finalizing my sermon and realizing that, man, there's so much here in these first 10 verses there's no way we're going to get to it without being here till like 1 o'clock. So next week, we're going to build on how this passage really actually is not an independent unit. It kind of fits with this bigger portion of Scripture that's all around it. So we'll see that next week. But this morning, we're just going to kind of dive and look specifically at this passage pretty much in isolation uh, from the context. Not how we normally do it, but I think you'll understand why as we finish up the message this morning. Well, Mark chapter 8, verse 1, it says this. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him, and he, this is Jesus, said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I, if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from a far, far way. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. 
And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he, looked, he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them. And he gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said, Take these also, should, take these that these should also be set before them. And they ate, and they were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples, and he went to the district of Dalmutha. So as we look at this, this first picture that we see in here, that what Jesus clearly does is that Jesus feeds a hungry crowd. He doesn't just feed them, but he says that he satisfies this crowd. And what I want you to see as we look in verse 1, it says there's this great crowd had come to Jesus. Again, we hear that over and over and over. There's crowds every place Jesus goes. I mean, at one point we read a few months ago that, that Jesus is so crowded that they thought he was going to get crushed. And everywhere he went, people would come and the crowds would be huge because he was teaching them in some pretty distinct ways. And as he's teaching them that Jesus, it says in verse 2, it says, I have compassion on the crowd. I just want us to pause and notice that to see who it is that sees the need. It's not the disciples that recognize the need, and it's not even the people saying to Jesus, hey, we're hungry, can you give us something to eat? What we see here is that Jesus notices the need, and he is the one who has compassion to meet this need, which gives us this understanding of who Jesus is and what he is like. He realizes that if he sends these people home on empty stomachs, I mean, they've been with him for three days, and they apparently had not planned this three-day trip. And so they're with him for three days. And he's going to feed, feed them and perform a miracle to teach them something significant. But before we look at the miracle, let's, let's consider this crowd. 4,000 people. I mean, that's a lot of people. I mean, he's teaching in open plains and open places, oftentimes by the seashore. And this multitude of people have come to listen to him. And in our passage, we get the idea that they didn't like sign up for a three-day conference, plan hotel rooms, plan the meals and all of that. They heard about Jesus, went to listen to him, and he was so captivating that they couldn't go away. And as Jesus is realizing their response and their hunger for the word, that he just kept teaching. And he's teaching these people for three days. I mean... I'm guessing if I'm going over today 30 minutes, some of you are like, I'm hungry, I'm checking out, right? That your stomach's growling and all that, and you're saying, I'm too distracted, I can't pay attention to this. And I get that. I'm not teaching like Jesus does. But we see Jesus, you think about that, after listening to him for a period of time, that you'd be like, okay, I've heard enough of this guy, I'm going on. But not with Jesus. And, and they're hungry, and they're getting hungry, and they're like, man, I'm starving. But I think sometimes it's like, sometimes we get in those situations where you're doing so much going on that you're just like, forget to eat. You're having a great time or you're working hard, you just forget to eat and your stomach's growling. You're just blind to it because you're so captivated in whatever you're involved with. Well, that's what Jesus' teaching was like. And when we see that, look, look back in Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, we get some idea as to why is it that these people would listen to him for three days with no food. In chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, right in the first part of this book of Mark, we're being told that Jesus comes and he's preaching, repent and believe the gospel. He's preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. And it says in verse 21, 
of Mark 1. It says, and, and they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. So as they're listening to Jesus teach, these people realize he's teaching different than anybody else. Other people are teaching and saying, and this scholar says this, this person says this, or this says this. And they're hearing Jesus say, I tell you, I say to you. And as they're listening to him saying these things, they recognize not only is his teaching really good, but they realize this has authority. This has authority in of itself. And in that teaching, we begin to get some hints about, well, who is Jesus? Who is this one that has this kind of authority? And we read in our scriptures and we realize that he has authority because he has come from heaven. He is the eternal son of God who's put on flesh and he has come to reveal truth to us. And so these people are just captivated by his teaching. We see this also in John chapter 7. It says in John chapter 7 that these authorities are supposed to go arrest Jesus and they come back and they don't have Jesus. And the people are like, why didn't you bring him? And they say this. They said... No one ever spoke like this man. I mean, the people that went to arrest him, they're listening to him talk, and they're like, whoa, there's something distinct. We're not arresting this guy. And they went back. In John chapter, in John chapter 6, that Jesus describes his own teaching, he says this. He says, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. What we begin to realize is that Jesus' words aren't, aren't just authoritative. They are the authoritative words of God, but they are also life-giving words. And so the people are listening to Jesus teach, and they're captivated by his authority, the uniqueness in the manner in which he's teaching, but they're realizing, too, that he's teaching stuff that gives us life. That it, that it is very life itself, and these words are things that, that we need to hear and that we need to listen to. And so Jesus is more than just an authoritative teacher. He is giving words of life. And so while this crowd of 4,000 people have not had food to eat for three days, they have been happily feasting on the bread of life. And the bread of life has satisfied them for these three days. And now the beautiful thing is this bread of life who is Jesus is now going to feed their stomachs with, with seven loaves of bread. And so we see that in our passage as Jesus in verse 4, back to Mark chapter 8, we see Jesus in verse 2, he has compassion on them. He says, if I send these people away, they're going to faint. And then verse 4, the disciples are looking at the situation and the disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? He's saying, Jesus, we're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I, where is this food going to come from? I mean, is God just going like, to pour it out of heaven? Well, he's done that before, right? Old Testament. Well, where is this food going to come from? I mean, there's, there's, there's not a McDonald's close. We can't cater it. Maybe it's a Sunday. Chick-fil-A's not open. We, there's nothing we can do to get food for all these people. And, and yet, that doesn't deter Jesus. That doesn't deter Jesus at all. But, but, but before we look at this, I want us to focus on verse 4. When the disciples say this, they, they, they have this question, well, where are we going to get all this food from? Now, we push the pause button, and we step back, and we think a little bit. We think, wait a minute, didn't we just read something about this? 
And we're like, oh, yeah. And so we flip back to chapter 6. Go there with me. And verse 30. And those of you who have headings in your Bible, some of your Bibles have some um, reading things that assist us in our reading. Uh, What does it say right before chapter 6, verse 30? What do many of your Bibles say? That Jesus does what? Feeds 5,000 people. Right? And you're thinking, well, why didn't the disciples just, I mean, why are they saying Jesus where does this food going to come from? Because two chapters earlier, we said Jesus fed 5,000 people. What's this all about? Well, before we, before we talk about this passage, we need to realize that there are scholars who would say to us that in verse 4, and what happens in his feeding of the 4,000 is actually a retelling of what happened in the feeding of the 5,000. There are some scholars who would say these, are two, this, these aren't two distinct events, that they're the same event, but over time the message got passed along and, and so some details got changed and they added it later. And so they, they, as this book of Mark was being put together, they have these two accounts in there. But that would, give, that would actually come from a different view of Scripture than we would hold. I mean, we, we would hold that Mark, the author of, of this book, wrote this book knowing what he was doing. And when he talked about 5,000 being fed in one chapter... 4,000 being fed a couple chapters later, that he knew he was doing that for a purpose. That this isn't just something that some um, compiler put together, and even if a compiler would put together, if they're trying to convince us that this is the book of Mark and it's actually not the book of Mark, you wouldn't leave it in here. Because people would say, well, that, that's, they're just going to say this is a makeup of the second one. So we look at this and we realize that these are indeed, we would clearly see there are two different accounts. And there are two big reasons for this. The first one is the numbers are all different. Okay, the numbers are all different. First of all, we recognize back in chapter 6, how many people were fed? 5,000. Here there are 4,000. If we looked at chapter 6 closely, we would also see the number of loaves of bread are different. In chapter 6, there are five loaves of bread. Here we have seven loaves of bread. The number of leftover baskets is different. In chapter 6, there are 12 baskets left over. Here, there are 7 baskets left over. Uh, The number of days is different. In chapter 6, there's one day Jesus has been teaching. Here, there are 3 days. And so we see these differences in numbers. And from the narrative, it's clearly that the author would want us to recognize these are two different accounts. But we'd also see another reason, not only the numbers all wrong, but also that we would realize that Jesus didn't always do things the same way. That, that Jesus didn't always do his miracles the same way. And the disciples didn't always assume that Jesus was going to perform a miracle. What I mean by that is Jesus had certainly been, been teaching other large crowds. And it's very likely that he taught other large crowds for long periods of time, like he did in Mark chapter 6 and here in chapter 8. But we'd also recognize that in many times when Jesus teaches, teaches these large crowds, that he doesn't feed them at the end of the conference. He doesn't feed them at the end of the day. And so sometimes he did back in Mark 6, and we're going to see he does here, but other times he didn't. And so the disciples aren't assuming that that Jesus says to them, these guys are hungry, and so the disciples don't say, well, feed them, Jesus. I mean, that's what you can do. That's what you always do. Now, they didn't assume that about Jesus. They realized Jesus is on his plan, and he's doing miracles on his schedule. And so we recognize there are a couple of reasons why we would say these are clearly two distinct accounts of what is going on in this. Because Jesus' primary mission was not to fill our stomachs, but to give us life. He, he didn't come primarily to, to satisfy us and all of our fleshly desires, but to give us what we need most. 
And so Jesus doesn't always feed the hungry, but he does here, right? He does here as an act of his compassion. And how does Jesus do that? Well, let's look back in our text in verse 6. Jesus had asked the disciples, how many loaves did you have? And they said, seven. And verse 6 says, and he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, so he takes these loaves, they bring him these loaves, he takes these seven loaves, and it says that he gave thanks to him, to God. He broke the bread, and he gave it to the disciples to set before the people, and they set him before the crowd. So, what happens? The people, they bring these seven loaves to Jesus. Jesus looks at this bread. He prays over it, and he breaks it. He gives it back to the disciples. And what do the disciples do? They take it and give it to the people. Okay? Now, that picture is going to be important in just a minute about how all that unfolded. But we see that Jesus is concerned about these 4,000 people, and he's going to give them this fish. But what we're recognizing in this is that we're seeing the heart of Jesus. Not only the power of Jesus in multiplying this bread, but the heart of Jesus. Because our passage says he has concern. He has compassion on the people. So what I want us to see is not only is Jesus satisfy the need of the hungry crowd, but I want us to see that Jesus truly cares about us. He truly cares about our needs, and he is seeking to meet these needs. And Jesus, in this, he is turning his compassion into action. He doesn't simply say, I'm concerned about these people, and then they go, go, go get in a boat. He's concerned about these people, meets their need, and then they get in the boat. Jesus demonstrates his compassion. And what we're seeing, he takes his compassion, turns it into action, multiplies what is available, and he satisfies the people. Now, we see all that. and Why is that all important? Because Jesus does for this crowd... He, he does for this crowd, for this empty stomachs, he does for us. Let me say that again. What Jesus is doing for this crowd of people with empty stomachs, he does for us in a bigger sense. He, he doesn't just come to those who have hungry stomachs. He comes to those who have hungry souls. Those who have hungry hearts that we see Jesus can turn in compassion into action on the grand scale of this, the whole gospel of Jesus Christ, of what the whole Bible is about. That we see Jesus turning compassion into action because the eternal Son of God sees our plight. The Word of God tells us that, that we are lost, that our hearts are, are, are desperately wicked, that, that we go astray, that we are on a path of destruction. We see all of these things in the Scripture. And rather than God simply leaving us to ourselves, He shows compassion by Jesus taking on flesh and coming to the earth. He comes to the earth and He, he lives a sinless life, always trusting the Father. Always trusting the Father, completely. And so He never sins. And because he never sins, he has earned this full righteousness and he's acceptable to God. But at the end of his life, rather than take that upon himself, he surrenders it. By taking our sin upon himself, he takes our sinful record, takes it to the Father, and he dies on the cross as a result. Jesus dies on the cross and he raises from the dead. And the good news is, not that he, simply that Jesus takes away our sin, but when we repent and believe the gospel, that he gives us, the perfect righteousness that we need, the perfect obedience that we need to be made new, to be forgiven, cleansed, and to be adopted as sons and daughters. Jesus turned compassion into action by coming as our Savior, dying on the cross, raising from the dead, and offering life 
to all who will accept it. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in this passage, this feeding of 4,000, we see this tiny glimpse of Jesus' compassion. Feeding some hungry stomachs pointing us to a greater feeding that he does to those who are hungry for the bread of life. And as we think about that this morning, I I just want to propose to you now that, that I would ask the question, are you feasting on the bread of life? Have you recognized the emptiness and the, uh, of your own soul, the fact that you are separated from God because of your sin, that there's a gap between you and God that you can't earn on your own to realize that the compassion of Jesus has come to fill that gap. And so for all of those who will repent, that will turn from our sin and turn to Jesus, that he will forgive you and give you new life. I would ask this morning, have you embraced that truth? And have you been made new Jesus Christ? Have you become, in the context here of this passage, have you become satisfied with the bread of life that God offers you? And I would encourage you this morning, if you haven't, I would encourage you to talk to God about that. To say, God, I understand that I am far from you and I need your help. I need your compassion and your forgiveness. And you would embrace that and you would pray, talk to God, that you would ask him to forgive you of your sins. And you say, I'm going to trust Jesus to forgive me and I need his righteousness. That the Bible says we are born again. That we are made new creatures in Christ. The sin is gone as far as the east is from the west. And we are made new and united to God as a beloved father who loves us as adopted sons and daughters. I encourage you this morning to examine where... Where are you with that? Well, as we look at our passage, we continue to see this, that we see this mark of Jesus and the compassion and what is going on in his life, that these should be truths in our lives as well. That this this compassion of Jesus, that, that, that we too should have a heart for those who are hungry. There's a level, certainly, for those who are hungry physically. I mean, we'd look in our community and we would realize that there are people who are hungry in our community that need food. And I'm thankful that there are organizations who are seeking to meet that need. But we also recognize as we look around that we live in a community that is hungry for the truth of God. In many ways, and, and, and we live in a, well, although there's a hunger for it, sometimes we don't even know we're hungry, and oftentimes those who are the hungriest don't even know it because they haven't been exposed to anything better. But as we realize that Jesus offers us something more than loaves of bread, Jesus offers us new life. And we, Jesus is offering us new life through him. And so the passages like this should challenge us, should challenge us to, to, to how do I reflect Jesus? Because I think we're often a lot more like the disciples than we're like Jesus. What I mean by that is we would look in our community and realize there are lots of needs. There's lots of brokenness. And, and, and from a church perspective or from a gospel perspective, we would realize the greatest need is the, the need for the gospel, the need for people to be born again and made new and their, their love being transformed from a love for themselves to a love for Jesus. And then that, that, that transforming reality of that, we would see that's the greatest need in our community. And there's nobody else other than the church that's going to meet that need. What I mean by that, there are other people who are feeding the hungry and praise God for that. But we have a community that needs to be fed the Word of God, and that's our responsibility. That that we would have compassion on people and that we would turn our compassion into action and that we would do that as we would allow Jesus to multiply what He's given us. Because oftentimes, we oftentimes think that, well, I don't have much to offer. 
I mean, I'm just me. I mean, I'm, I'm one person, and there's so many needs in our community. How, how could I do any good with all of that? I don't have much, whether it be finances. I don't have a lot of money, so what could my money do? I don't have a lot of talent, and how could I be used by God? I don't have as much energy as I used to, so how could I be used by God? I don't have a lot of creativity, or I don't have a lot of, of time. And I, we look at all these different things, the things that we don't have. And that's what the disciples focused on. We don't have enough bread, Jesus. These people are going to have to go home hungry because we don't have enough bread. And I think sometimes we would look at our culture and say that, you know, our culture is just going to have to, I guess, you're going to have to deal with it because we don't have what it takes to meet the needs of our, of our culture. But, but I want to encourage you. Let's, let's do some math, all right? How many of you like math? Some of you like math. How many of you are like, oh, no, math, right? Okay, that's many of you. Okay, here. Okay, so... How many people did Jesus feed? Yeah, in this one. How many people? 4,000 people, right? 4,000 people. How many loaves of bread did he use? Seven loaves of bread to feed 4,000 people. So do your math. 4,000 divided by seven equals, right, 571 point something, okay? I wrote it down, okay? So, that, so five, one loaf of bread, 571 people, okay? We think about Crawfordsville. Montgomery County, 16,000 people in Crawfordsville, 36, 38,000 people in Montgomery County. And we're thinking, man, that's a lot of needs. And we'd look at our church family and think, what, 200 of us. I mean, what could 200 people do? We've got so many. The needs are so great. But let's do the math, okay? If we did 16,000 divided by 200, that's 80, 1 to 80. We did divide by the county, it's 1 to 180, right? So get the ratio, 1 person, 180, or 1 to 180, we do the whole county. Let's do the county, okay? Let's do, actually, let's just do town, 1 to 80. One loaf of bread to how many people? 571. We would think, so what? You say, well, there's no way God could use me with the limited things that I have and who I am to impact 80 people. There's no way God could do that. And I would say to you, says, what if somebody said, some dude you ran to Kroger yesterday, he's buying a loaf of bread, and you say, what are you going to do with that? He says, I'm going to feed 571 people this afternoon. You'd think, you're, you're crazy. There is no way you could do that, right? And that's what we would think. And we would be right, right? There's no way one loaf can feed 571 people without Jesus. But what does Jesus do? Jesus multiplies what was available. Jesus isn't just doing addition. He's doing, he's doing, he's doing multiplication at an exponential le- level, that he is multiplying this. And to realize that, that, that if 4,000 people can be fed with seven loaves of bread, that it's easy to think that there are, are 36,000 or 2,000, however many people can be fed by us. It's not inconceivable. But what did it take of Jesus? It took, listen, three things. It took a compassionate Savior. It took faithful disciples. And it took seven loaves of bread. What would it take to feed our community with the Word of God, with the bread of life? I think the similar things. A compassionate Savior. We've got that, right? He hasn't changed. Faithful disciples. Hmm. 
And then what? The resources he's already given to us. He's given you time. He's given you talent. He's given you abilities. He's given you strengths. He's given you finances. He's given you a bunch of resources. But what has to happen is we have to take those resources and surrender them and to use them. Because the disciples could have said, dude, we've got seven loaves of bread. There are 12 of us plus you, Jesus. That's, that's 13. And uh, we had one more person just pick somebody. And we all, we can split a loaf of bread and we're in good shape. We're good to go. But they didn't do that. They took those loaves and they multiplied it. And so what happened? They brought the loaves to Jesus. They brought the resources they had to Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus multiplied them. And then what did they do? They took them to the people. That's the pattern. What does Jesus want of us? He wants you to bring your resources to him. Surrender them to him. God, I'm going to give of myself. I'm going to give financially abundantly. I'm going to give of my time and my creativity. I'm going to give abundantly to you, and I'm going to trust you to do with it what you can. And then what happened? So Jesus multiplied that, and then he gave it back to the disciples who were then to give it to the other people, right? Okay, so here's what I'm concerned about often happens. I don't think what happens is a lack of desire on Jesus' part or even ability on Jesus' part. I think oftentimes the roadblock becomes our willingness to give. So as Jesus would multiply in us, that we would be, he's multiplying bread and we're eating and we're eating and we're eating on the word of God. We're feasting on this bread of life week in, week out. We're reading our Bibles on a regular basis. We're feeding and feeding and feeding. And what would happen if for those seven loaves that were to feed 5,000 people, 4,000 people, the one loaf was to feed 571 people, what would happen if the disciples, rather than taking that and giving it to others, just ate it all? So I've eaten enough bread to feed 571 people. What would happen to me? Right, All kinds of weird stuff, right? Way too many carbohydrates. It, I love bread, by the way. It'd be really good to try it. But, but what would happen? I get fat. I get fat and it messes up my metabolism and I have all kinds of weird stuff going on in me. I'm burdened. That often happens in the church. That we eat and 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 we eat everything that we're supposed to be giving and we're not giving and we wonder sometimes, why aren't I more on fire for God? Why aren't I more passionate about the things of God? Why aren't I growing like I really need to? Well, many, maybe because many of you, the result is because you're too fat. Right? We've got these big fat heads of knowledge. We've got these big fat hearts that are full of just the stuff that we've not given out. And that Jesus would have us turn our compassion into action. We would say, yes, I'm burdened about our community. I'm burdened about our people. And I would turn that compassion into action. And I'm going to surrender what I have to Jesus. And when he gives it back to me, I'm not just going to eat it. I'm going to share it. I'm going to go. I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to do something with what Jesus has given to me. I mean, what would happen if that happened in us? I mean, what could God do with 200 people that are faithfully given to others what Jesus has already given to us on a regular basis? Wouldn't it be awesome? I mean, we would say, man, it would be awesome to have an impact, impact 80 people or 180 people. How many of you think it'd be cool just to impact eight people? Right? We'll, let's, we'll multiply it down by ten. We'll divide it by ten and just do that. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? 
loving somebody enough, walking alongside of others to help them to grow and change, to know Jesus better, to feast on this bread of life, and for them to know Jesus, to be growing, and for their lives to begin to flourish. Wouldn't that be awesome? They'd be satisfied. We would be glorifying God. But it requires some work on our part. It's not just about me and me and my time and my money, my creativity, my energy all going to me, but to be using it for the Word of God, to be using it so the bread of life can go forward. Jesus took the bread, he served it to others, and they were satisfied. See, that's, as we think about what is it that we should desire in our community, I, w- I think we should desire people's flourishing that we want to see the people in our community flourish. We want them to be abound with joy and peace and restored relationships. We want to see them abound with satisfaction and delight in life. And we can realize that, listen, we can throw money at them, we can do that, but that's not going to achieve any of that. What achieves it is the gospel of Jesus Christ in, 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 in intersecting with their life and then being born again and made new, and that's where transformation begins. That's what will cause people to truly flourish. And I want us to consider this morning, how do we turn our compassion into action and how might Jesus multiply that? So I would think of some real simple things. Eating and eating and eating and what do we share with others? Listen, I would think a real simple thing to do is invite somebody to church. Right? I mean, in some ways that's the easiest thing you can do. That might not be the best thing, the first thing to do, but that's something you could do, inviting somebody to church. Because if they come to church, what are they going to be able to eat on? The bread of life, right? We consistently teach the Word of God. We're consistently teaching the gospel. They can feed on the bread of life, and that bread of life can transform them. What else could we do? I encourage you to build a relationship with somebody. Think about those around you. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody you sit in the bleachers with on week in and week out with kids. That you'd build a relationship with somebody and that you would build a relationship with them with the goal of seeing them flourish and knowing that the way they're going to flourish is by hearing the gospel and understanding what Jesus can do for them and loving them enough to help them flourish. Maybe you would be that, that you would share the gospel this summer. You'd think about, where can I share the gospel? I'm going to pass out some tracks. We have Strawberry Festival coming up in a few weeks. We're going to be promoting soccer camp, but that also creates a great opportunity as you're handing a soccer flyer to somebody to say, hey, did you get one of these too? And a little tract that will tell them about the gospel. I mean, these are low-hanging kinds of fruit, things that we can do. Maybe that you would sign up to serve in the church, that maybe you've been like kind of, you know what, I've got my time is so tight, my, I've just... So just my, I'm just busy with all kinds of stuff, and so not really investing much time in serving. Listen, we have abundant places to serve, and right now we have kids up in children's church who are being fed the bread of life. And it's encouraging as a, as a pastor to hear what those kids are learning. They're not just playing fun and games. They're having a good time, but they're learning truth. And, and you know what? You know people who are up there? Mostly the same people, week in, week out, month in, month out. Why? Other people won't invest time there. We see the same thing with Pine. Now, again, I'm rejoicing that we have lots of people serving. I am rejoicing, and I want to thank you who are faithfully serving. Hands are in the mix. Thank you for that. But recognize that we have lots of needs. If we want this compassion to be multiplied, it takes all of us investing our time and our energies. 
maybe you can invite somebody to church, build a relationship, share the gospel, give generously to the work of the ministry. You know, listen, I will tell you this. Our greatest hindrance is never going to be money, okay? It's always going to be people willing to go. But listen, money limits us in some ways, right? So I would encourage you to give generously to the work of the ministry. I would also encourage you, maybe you need to call a friend. You know somebody that they're in a desert of life right now, and they're hurting. You're like, well, I'm not sure what I would say to them. Why don't you just call them and say, hey, I've been praying for you, and if you want to get together, how about we get together and just talk and just build a relationship and help them to flourish. I think about one other thing that we're working on, a new way, because what is our goal? We want to get the bread of life into our community. We want to get it out the doors. We want to share it here. We want to give you the Word of God so it gets multiplied in your life and then it goes into the lives of others. One of the things that we're working at launching this fall and when we kick off the Pioneer Club stuff is that we are going to, it might be a crazy idea, but we're going to give it a shot. We're going to have what we call walk-in counseling. On Wednesday nights, when our Pioneer kids come during those Wednesday nights, we want to open the doors so that people, their parents, and some of their caregivers would have a wide-open opportunity to have to schedule an appointment, just walk in to get some biblical counsel. We're working on how we're going to market that. We're working on how we're going to advertise all that. But we've said for years one of our biggest burdens is getting into the homes and how do we reach the caregivers of these kids that we're ministering to on Wednesday nights. And so what do we want to do? We want to provide an opportunity for them to give biblical counsel. Because we know that we spent time over the last year and a half working hard to become trained to love others wisely with grace and truth. There's a level that's, okay, let's stop talking about it and let's do something about it. And that's why we're going this fall. And we need people sign up to help with that. And you think, I don't, I don't know that I can do that. I would say, listen, bring the few crumbs of bread that you have and let's see what God can do with it. Right? That'd be my answer. Come, we will teach you. We will help you get equipped. We won't, we're not, maybe we throw you in a little bit into the deep end, but we'll bail you out, okay? But we want to help, and we want to do this together, and we want to be doing all this thing again, these things, why? Because we have this compassionate Savior who wants to multiply the things that we have for the good of others and for His glory. And what an opportunity for us. And the ratio again, one loaf of bread, 571 people fed. There's one of you. How many people can you feed? How many people will you allow Jesus to feed as you give away what he has given to you? Call for us this morning. Turn our compassion into action. Let Jesus multiply what we have for his glory and the good of others. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this morning as we look at this passage of Jesus feeding 4,000 people, it is a, uh, it's an amazing, a miraculous story that on the face of it we would say, that's, that's pretty amazing in feeding that many people. But God, I pray that you would open our eyes to realize you want to multiply what we have, that you want to take what we have and multiply it in the lives of other people. God, I pray that you would help us in this mix of our pride and our insecurities, that, that we would look past both of those and that we would simply trust you. What would be the heartbeat of this church? And that, God, we would see you take what we have and multiply it as we take the life to us. God, I pray you would stir us this morning, that we would consider an action step, to consider what will I do in light of this? What resources do I have that I can offer to Jesus and have him multiply? I pray that as we would consider that, that we would then be faithful and offer these gifts to you. 
and that you would do exciting, big things through your church because you love people and you want to use us. So God, help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as our, our uh, ushers come, we're going to...